You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. You know Ron from his career that started at Arrowhead Pride, advanced through the ranks, and is now the lead analyst there. And then his career ended on Twitter with Tyron Matthew. Ron, how you doing today? And I, uh, I, I got the gravestone written up. Uh, you know, the funerals uh, in, in the next coming days. So uh, I'll get the invitation out to everybody. But. Uh, no, that was that was that was funny. That was that was a good good day on Twitter. Uh, my notifications were a complete dumpster fire. Uh, thank you to everyone who either supported me, even though, hey guys, I, I I wasn't taking it offensively or anything. I feel like some people thought I was like taking it really hard or something. But uh, I also appreciate the people that that took the time to call me a clown and stuff for for Tyron clowning me on Twitter. So, so you're, it was a fun day. Both, it was a fun day. You're now both Twitter verified and Tyron tested. Uh, there should be another little logo that you put on Twitter when you get owned by Tyron that, you know, you should get a second check mark or something for that. Yeah, me, me and Tom have both been Tyron. Uh, uh, Tyron came at, I think, one of his arrow headlines earlier this offseason. So it's it's he he is he likes to, to peruse the social media for sure. And uh, I was his latest victim. And uh, well, he, it was a good day, though. It was fun. He stands up for his guys and, and you can't fault him for that. Um, and I do like. I do like to have somebody – you like to have those people in your life that just tell it how it is, and he's definitely that guy in the Chiefs locker room. Hopefully he's here for the long term. Uh, we are as well. We're starting off this season with our season preview. We actually have live football games that actually matter starting this weekend. Woo. So Ron's put together some great over-unders for us to discuss our predictions for this season that's going to start this weekend. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I can't believe it's here. Uh, it, it's funny. I've been meaning to tweet it, uh, but I have had like multiple dreams and I usually am not a guy who remembers dreams, but I've had three dreams the past week about being an arrowhead in one, in some capacity or another. So my, my, my body and mind are ready for chiefs football. So I, I'm ready, man. All right. Well, let's start off with the first one. The most important one, the guy that is the dream for all of chiefs fans and chiefs kingdom Patrick Mahomes, how many passing touchdowns will Mahomes have this year? You set the over-under at 39 and a half. Yeah, I thought 40 was a good number to, to go off of. And, and I think some people might see that and say, oh, that's over. It's Mahomes. And, and I do think he could have an MVP season. But I'm actually going to go under. I, I think he doesn't get to 40 this year, mainly because I think – the red zone offense will be better in terms of running it in. You know, we'll, they'll be more effective, more successful at running in uh, scores instead of throwing them in. And yeah, I, I just think it's the offensive line, you know, being able to run the ball a little better. And I, and I am hot on the defense and I do think that is going to affect it as well. I think the defense will put them in positions a lot to where they don't need to pass, you know, like 2018, we see him go 50 touchdowns. It's, it's because the defense was so bad. So I'm actually going to go under here that he does not get to 40 touchdowns this year. Yeah, that's an interesting take. There'll be some touchdown vultures in the running back room this season. And, yeah, some bullies on the offensive line should open things up a little bit. I'm going to hammer the over, though, Rod. 39 and a half. Uh, as you pointed out, he had 38 last season. They add an extra game this year. That alone puts him over 40, in my opinion. Uh, this guy is going to be standing behind the best offensive line he's ever had and the weapons aren't any worse than they have been. And I think the evolution of the offense will only help his totals. I think they're, the running backs should score more this year, absolutely. But I, I think he'll still get his. So I'm going to put him somewhere around 45, so I'm going to hammer the over uh, this season. So maybe not the 50 that he had in 2018 where they were having a shootout every week, but certainly more than what he had last year. Yeah, that's smart, and, and you're right. To find, you know, my heart 
line could definitely be on me because yeah Mahomes is going to have the best pockets he's had maybe in his career so far and, and that's only going to help and and only help with the big passing game so yeah we'll see we're going to keep track of these so we're going to hold ourselves accountable and see how well we do at the end of the year but I'm going to go ahead and go to the next one which you uh, made up this one this over under and, it, and it's it's a funny one because I, I Tyreek loves to do this but Tyreek Hill over under one and a half excessive celebration penalties We've already seen this preseason, and I know they kind of overcalled in the preseason just to emphasize it, but taunting has been is, is going to be a point of emphasis this year, and, and Tyreek just can't help himself sometimes, whether it's flipping, you know, uh, backflipping into the end zone or, or giving the peace sign. Yeah, I, I think Tyreek, this, this one and a half uh, over under excessive celebration is a good number. I'm going to let you go first, though. What do you think he, he hits? Well, we did a little research here, and we saw that he had three unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in, in- – 2018 or three, you know, that could be interpreted as excessive celebration penalties. You remember in 2019, I think it was that he jumped up in the stands and operated the camera. He's, as you mentioned, the backflips, the peace signs, he's going to pull something out and he managed to make it all the way through 2020 without having one of these penalties. I think with the fans back in the stands, the offense lighting things up, Tyreek's going to put on a show and you're right with the emphasis on it this year. I'm going to go over one and a half. Uh, I'll give him, I'll, I'll give him two. Let's say he's matured a little bit since 2018, but he's uh, he's not going to be able to help himself entirely. So I, I think I'm going to take the over. What do you, what do you got, Ron? You know, that, that's a good point about the crowd. I didn't really even consider that, but you're right. I think the the energy of the crowd may, may kind of, you know, influence him to, to go above and beyond maybe in his celebration. So I am going to go under though. I think he's, he'll hit one. He'll get one for sure, but then I think Andy gets on him so hard that that he that he really uh, you know after the one that he that he kind of shuts it off for the rest of the season. So I will go under one and a half. Like I said, he'll he'll get one, but uh, I th- I think we'll sh- he'll shut it down after that. You don't think the gloves are going to help? You, you talked about this earlier. The Tyreek Hill hat now has these specially manufactured gloves, right? That are that have the peace sign on the inside of the glove so he can just show his full hand and not throw out the, the, the deuces and get penalized for it. Yeah. I think that was really smart on his part. And, uh, I, I, I applaud the uh, company for working with him to do that where it's, yeah, his, his, it's a glove. And then his two, you know, the peace sign fingers, the thumb and the two fingers are, you know, uh, different color than the rest of the glove. So it still looks like a peace sign, but you know, at the same time when, you know, with the refs calling it more, Maybe they, you know, even if it's not a real peace sign, maybe they still call it, even if he just holds his hand up like he's stiff arming. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. It, it, the one and a half is a good number, but uh, I'll, I'll still go under. Well, the fun one for this year, talking about the defense, is what's Chris Jones going to be able to accomplish in terms of getting after the passer? He looks like a man possessed in the preseason. I haven't seen anything like this from Chris, Chris Jones since his career high in 2018. So you set the over-under at his career high, 15 and a half sacks from 2018. You think Chris Jones sets a new career high this year? Well, if you heard the AP takeover ten last week uh, with CDOT, uh, you heard me hammer this over. I, I CDOT was kind of grilling me – not grilling me, but he was, he was kind of, you know, uh, pushing back a little bit on it. But I don't know. I, I, think, I think the main point of, with Chris Jones, and I think that's how he got his career high in 2018 – was that there were other really good pass rushers that were that were taking the attention of the offense, and I think that's what's going to happen this year. I think we're going to see guys like Jaron Reed, you know, and and just the complimentary pieces like Turk Wharton or or you know maybe even a, a Josh Kando if if you know in situations. I just think the talent around him on the defensive line is going to help him, you know, boost his sack numbers. And and I and I do you know we we know they're going to put him inside on, on the third down and passing situations, which is where he's made his money, where he's been an All Pro player. But I, I think the defensive end position sometimes, too, you know, tackles aren't going to be used to his kind of strength. And I think that's going to get him a few more sacks, too. So I am hammering the over. What about you? So it's interesting because there's this kind of conflicting idea about the Chiefs defensive front. To, on one hand, we think they're going to be much improved. they got some young players really stepping up. Uh, there's some excitement along that front. And with Jaron Reed uh, added into the mix, you're right. There's versatile players. There's other players that, that may not that may feast if Jones gets double teamed. But there's also a concern about depth at the defensive end position. And with, you know, 
maybe it's an overreaction to, to Tim Ward being released and claimed last week. And, you know, there's a, they've kept one less edge player than what they typically do. And one of those edge players is Alex Okafor, who's typically injured. Um, and one of those is Josh Kendo, who just got drafted and we thought he was a project. So, you know, I don't know for sure that there's going to be somebody taking up uh, that much attention from Jones. I really think Jones – is still going to get double teamed, is still going to get a lot of attention, and that's going to allow Jaron Reed, Frank Clark, uh, even Tershawn Wharton to absolutely feast this season. So I'm optimistic about this front. I don't know if it leads to extreme production by one player or the other. Um, I think it's just going to be a better balanced uh, look, and, and you've got some, some real upside with that group. So you're going under? Nah, I'm going over. Uh, <laughs> With all that said, I'm still going about 16 at least for Jones. I think with the extra game this season, with his extra motivation, um, I I see him having a a monster season. And, you know, with 16 sacks, I still think the majority of those come from the inside. Uh, Maybe at least 10 of them come from the inside. I think we had this conversation before, but I I see Chris Jones is really rotating inside and out. Uh, He's still going to be unblockable. Uh, from that three tech when he gets a chance and he'll be overpowered in some tackles in the meantime. So, so yeah, it's going to be a big year for Chris Jones either way. Well, and, and the other reason that his, uh, his newfound position versatility could help him with this number is when, if you think about it, these guards are going to be used to, you know, blocking Derek Noddy, Jaron Reed, Turk Wharton, all, you know, uh, for most of the snaps. And then all of a sudden they're going to have to deal with Chris Jones, who is just a completely different type of player than all those guys in terms of explosiveness, his length, everything. You know, before the guards are blocking him every single play, right? So maybe maybe that kind of gives him a little boost when he does b- get inside. That the guards just you know got used to to you know blocking guys that may not be as lengthy or as explosive, and then all of a sudden Jones comes in and, and it's a whole different ball game. So yeah, I, I that's I, I'm really confident in this. I I really do think he's going to get close to 20 sacks this year. Close. I didn't say he is hitting that, but I I do think he's going to get north of his career high. Well, speaking of close, but maybe sometimes not uh, not hitting, uh, how about Harrison Butker? Three and a half extra points missed this season. You ran the numbers. Uh, what do you think? You set this over under at three and a half. Do you think Harrison Butker goes over or under three and a half missed extra points? Yeah, so the, the reason I set that number is so last year he missed six extra points, which is a career high and a lot for a kicker. I mean, that is that is quite a bit. Um, I didn't look up the NFL averages or anything. That seems like a lot. Uh, 2019, he missed three extra points. And then 2018, which I believe was the first year they did the longer extra point. I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that. They, he missed four. So he's missed at least three in every season since they've done the uh, longer extra points. And so that's why I thought, thought three and a half was a good number. And I'm actually going to say over. It, it. We already saw him miss an extra point in the preseason. It doesn't seem like that's something that, that he's getting fixed. And I, I've kind of mentioned it before that I'm not entirely worried about it in terms of how it'll impact the team's success. I think as long as he's still consistent on the 50 yarders, which he is for sure, I think that's more important than him, you know, being dynamite at the extra points. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go over. I, I don't think that's fixed yet. So if you look across the NFL at kickers an extra point percentage or who misses uh, extra points, You've got one kicker in the league that was perfect last season on extra points, and that was Jason Sanders in Miami. And then if you look down the line, it's pretty much every kicker misses one or two extra points. Mason Crosby missed four. Matt Prater missed three. Jason Myers missed four. So that is a pretty good number then, I'd say. So so it looks like – it looks like outside of Butker, the most I see. Oh, uh, Dan Ma- Dan Bailey in Minnesota missed six. So and he is not their kicker anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, six is the is really the league high in that regard. So I think three, two to three is probably league average. Maybe um, there's our uh, old friend Ryan Suckup missed five last year. Cody Parkey from Cleveland missed four. So, yeah, I still think Butker probably misses four. So I'm going to go over, but just barely. 
Yep, I think it's a good call. Like I said, we, we already saw him miss one in the preseason. So I, I, I do think, you know, that's it's a it's a mental thing, I think, for him. And I don't think he's he's gotten past it. Over over under one half game. Uh, so set the over under at a half. How many games does it cost the Chiefs? Uh, under. All right. <laughs> we'll stick with that. The, hopefully they're not close enough where those, those uh, extra points uh, cost them. In fact, if it costs them a, a regular season game, I'd be okay with that as long as it doesn't start costing them in the playoffs. Well, well and, and the other part of that too is, is I think, you know, unless it's like an actual, you know, last second, you know, field goal to go ahead or whatever, and, and then he misses it. I just feel like if, if he does miss an extra point sometime in the game and then the Chiefs happen to lose by one point or whatever, uh, I just, you know, I don't think that's – I don't – I think the offense should shoulder blame if they don't – aren't able to, like, recover. You know, if it is, like, an extra point in the third quarter and the offense never gets back on it or something, you know, I, I, I think – shouldn't have been that just, close. That's what we'll say. It should not have been yeah, that close. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and I actually – I think Butker is pretty clutch when it comes to game winning field goals and, and game tying field goals, pushing overtime, all of that stuff. He's been, he's been pretty good in that regard. So I think if the game's on the line, his focus level will be there. Um, I'm not too worried about it. You know, it's, it seems like maybe early in games or when we think it should be automatic, uh, maybe the concentration lapses or, or something there. I, I don't know exactly what's causing it. I also do think, frankly, now that I just said I don't know what's causing it, I do think some of it's caused last year by having the rookie punter as your holder. I think there was some there were some clear challenges in how he was how those two were working together, and I think the coaches sort of alluded to that multiple times in press conferences when Butker missed kicks. They would talk about how yeah there it was a, it was an issue in the you know in the process. And, and we're yeah, fixing right. that. It wasn't necessarily a kicker issue. You could read between the lines and say, you know, maybe the, the laces weren't out. No, and, and I, I do want to just emphasize that Bucker has been clutch, like you kind of mentioned there. Uh, I actually just pulled up an old tweet of mine from last year after the week two game where he hit the game winner 58-yard field goal. He has five career game-winning field goals. Uh, 2017, he has two, and then one each year for, uh, the next three years. I mean, he, he has been very clutch, and I don't recall him – Miss, uh, I think he has missed a, an important one actually. Now that I'm thinking about it in the playoffs, I want to say, uh, shoot, I can't the Tennessee, remember, but... the, the, a Tennessee game, and then they, but I think they still came back and won it, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't recall, but he's been clutch. That's that's all I know. So. <laughs> Either way, he's a clutch field goal kicker, and when the when it all comes down to it, I, I think they'll work out those issues. He'll still miss. Uh, league average amount, just not an excessive amount this year. That, that's our prediction. Moving on to uh, a much more exciting conversation, maybe. Uh, let's talk about running backs this, this season. My guy, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, total touchdowns. You set the over-under at nine and a half. Ron's, uh, Ron's now the house, apparently, in, in Vegas. Ron's <laughs> setting the, setting the over-under at nine and a half. Uh, what do you think for Clyde this year? I'm going over. I, I mentioned it earlier with the Mahomes touchdowns. I went under there because I do think more of the touchdowns are going to be spread out among uh, the rushing, uh, you know, running. It's going to be ran in more, I guess. And so I think Clyde gets over 10 or, you know, over nine and a half touchdowns at double digit touchdowns, whether it be, you know, uh, on the ground or in the receiving game. Because I do think they're going to use him a lot more in the receiving game as well. So he had five last year in 13 games, five total. I think it was four rushing and one receiving, if I remember correctly. So yeah, I, I think I think 10. If, if you're if if you think he's going to have a breakout season, which it's you know we're all pretty confident, and I think 10 is is a pretty good number. But do you think that over under is a, is too big? What do you think about it? It's pretty high now. I, I think yeah. just historically, I think it's pretty high. When you look at the expectations for Clyde, though, I think they're I think they're going to be they're going to be pretty high this year. There's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, the only concern for him I may have it would be around injuries. He tends to he's had a few nagging smaller injuries that have held him out. As you mentioned, he only played 13 uh, of the games last season. A longer season this year, but he's already got an ankle that he was dealing with, and so you hope that 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 injuries aren't a problem. Uh, I'm going to go 
as high as I am on Clyde, I'm going to go under, but just barely. Let's say nine total touchdowns for for Clyde this year. Still good, um, but I think they'll, he'll probably, you know, probably got to factor in that he may miss a little bit of time. And, you know, touchdowns, uh, there's going to be only so many touchdowns to go around, and I think there's going to be a lot of players uh, vying for those touchdowns this year. So um, I've, I'll, I'll go with nine, slightly under. How much do you factor in, and I'm sure you are factoring in, uh, the other running backs on the team maybe taking some of those touchdowns away from him? Yeah, I think you got you have to a little bit. You know, I don't see Jarek McKinnon taking his goal line uh, runs away from him, but I'm not sure Andy Reid's going to be able to help himself uh, in getting creative around the goal line. And you know, even if he doesn't have to, there's still going to be, you know, some some end around, some, some you know uh, – hungry pig right type type plays that we're gonna that we're gonna see on the goal line so I'm not sure how that he's gonna have a normal running backs um, share of goal line touches and then you add into that that Clyde as I've mentioned before is he's a good workhorse I think I think he's the type of running back that's going to churn out 10 15 yard runs on a regular basis but he's he's not Jamal Charles he's not breaking 50 yarders on a regular basis or even Kareem hunt. I don't know that he's going to get loose and, and get a lot of long touchdowns. So if he's not scoring a lot of long touchdowns and he's going to have to share goal line uh, plays with Andy Reed more than anybody else. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think that may limit him just a bit. No, that's a good point. A- Andy can't help himself. He, he knows he has a better offensive line, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. He likes getting creative down there. And speaking of the offensive line, you made up this one, and I think it's going to be a fun one to track. I am going to try to track the offensive line this year, so I will have numbers on this uh, by the end of the year, so we'll know. But Trey Smith, we've seen him you know, be, be pretty violent and, and nasty in his blocking in the preseason. Eight and a half pancakes, which is basically, you know, eight is obviously basically one every two games. What, and, and it is hard to get a pancake in the NFL, but uh, I, I, I'll let you start here. Where do you think this, this goes? So I've been trying to be measured about my expectations for Trey Smith coming into his rookie season. Again, looking back at his college career, he is a player that had some ups and downs, but he, but he had enough ups that, that we're seeing it on the field now. And I think there's going to be highlight reels. There's going to be pancakes. There's, he is not going the whole season without at least a handful of, of, of good pancakes. So Eight and a half is pretty high, but you're, as you break it down, one every two games, uh, if we're not counting the playoffs here, this is just regular season, you know, I, I'll go I'll go over. I'd expect somewhere around 10. Yeah, and, I, and, and we've talked about it, but, yeah, he's going to be a highlight kind of guy more than he's going to be a very consistent, like, you know, stud lineman right away. But he is going to get those highlights – and so, yeah, you know, I struggled with the number to put here, but I just figured one every two games is kind of a fair number. And, and there's probably going to be a game or two, you know, if he's playing inferior competition where he gets multiple in that game. So I think over is a good bet. I'm going to say under, though. I, I think maybe just barely because, um, I, like I said, I do think it's hard in the NFL to dominate a guy to where he's act, you're actually putting him on the ground. So I went under here. Yeah. Well, let's – Let's expand that out and say the other side of it. If he's if he's got the highlight reel plays, how many sacks do you think he gives up in, in his first season? That's a good question. I do think there's going to be times where, yeah, if he's facing a, a very technical rusher or, or someone, uh, you know, someone like, you know, off the top of my head, uh, you know, in the first few games, there are some pretty good interior rushers uh, that he's going to be facing. Uh, you know, like a, a week four comes to mind, you know, Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia is probably going to give him, you know, some trouble if they line up over each other. I, I Yeah, I, I think he gives up, you know, maybe, you know, multiple sacks for sure. Uh, I, I think that's, that stuff is going to happen. I do think he's going to be pretty inconsistent and there's going to be times where, you know, he doesn't look great. But I just think, you know, we got to understand he's a rookie and 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 the the way he's good right now is that he he's a violent guy and a dominant guy when he, you know, when, you know, obviously he wants to be dominant every play, but he's, he's just a highlight real guy. Like we've said, he's, he's going to be a little inconsistent maybe right out of the gate. So yeah, I'd say, I don't, I don't know a number on it, but I'd say there's going to be some times where he, he kind of, you know, there's going to be a bad player or two here or there. 
Yeah, and think about being between two other rookies. There might be some communication issues here and there. Yep. Trey Smith seems to be have a good feel for picking up stunts and blitzes, uh, which is to his credit. You know, again, it's not not just a guy that happens to be physically dominating, but he he seems to have the mental side of the game uh, in, in pretty good shape at this point, right? So, but there'll still be some times where he's expecting Niang to do something that Niang's expecting him to do something different. Um, so yeah, maybe three or five sacks allowed with eight or nine pancakes, uh, maybe ten pancakes. I think on par, it's going to be a good year for Trey Smith and all the rookies on the offensive line. Yeah, and speaking of another rookie, I, I went ahead and, and did a Noah Gray over under because I know we all love Noah Gray and we're excited about these multi tight end sets. Uh, yeah, so Noah Gray, I have him. I have the over under nineteen and a half receptions, and the way I got to this number was I looked at the the history of Andy Reid tight end twos in Kansas City, and Demetrius Harris, who we all you know kind of attribute as the the best tight end two uh, alongside you know behind Kelsey in, in the Andy Reid era. His career high in Kansas City was 18 catches. That was 2017 with Alex Smith. And so I just figured, you know, extra game. I know they're going to be more, more multi-tight end sets. So I thought 19 and a half was a good number. Go ahead, Stags. Where do you think Noah Gray ends up uh, over under 19 and a half? Well, by the way, before I get to this, looking at Demetrius Harris, I think maybe we're glorifying him just a little bit <laughs> with our desperation to find a second tight end to, to root for. I was looking back through the stats over the last couple seasons. First of all, I can see why there's a thirst here. Last season, Nick Kaiser had six receptions. Deion Yelder had seven. Ricky Seals-Jones had one target that he dropped. So you basically had zero production from the, from the tight end two position last season. And if you look back to 2019, it was basically the same thing. So not just like a little bit of production, but like literally no production in two years out of any tight end not named Travis Kelsey. So you go back to Demetrius Harris in that 2018 offense that everything worked in 2018 on offense, right? That offense was electric. Mahomes was uh, the MVP, put up 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. Demetrius Harris in that monster season had 12 catches for 164 yards for the season. And what's even more appalling than those stats is the efficiency and how he got there. This blows my mind that Demetrius Harris that season in 2018, as good as Mahomes was, targeted Harris 25 times and he caught 12 of those passes. And even in his best season, in his best season, 18 catches on 35 targets. So we're talking about a player that's catching about half of the passes that Mahomes is targeting him on, which feels like a, just a miserable catch percentage. So the bottom line here is what I'm ranting about with tight end production is that the, the bar is pretty low for our guy, Noah Gray and Jody Fordson. They can literally hit in one game eclipse what all of the other tight ends, not named Travis Kelsey have done in the last two seasons combined. So 19 and a half is not a bad over under for receptions for Noah Gray. Again, it puts him above all of the other tight ends combined last season, other than Travis Kelsey. It puts him a little bit under from a target perspective where Cameron Brait is. And that's what the best comparison I can think of in the NFL for a team that uses multiple tight ends that has a young player. Brait had 28 catches for 282 yards and two touchdowns last season. That's a reasonable expectation for Noah Gray, probably on the high end on both catches and yards, but that's what he's shooting for. So 19 and a half, I'm going to go over 19 and a half, but not by a lot. So we'll put Noah Gray in the low twenties on receptions, somewhere under 300 yards in production. Uh, but that'll be still the best tight end two season in the Andy Reid era in Kansas city, which is not saying much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went over here too. I do think uh, one way the chiefs and we've talked about it all, all off season, they have a wide receiver by committee. It's Tyree kill. And I know we all want McColl to jump out, but you know, at, at this moment, it's really just Tyree kill and a, and a bunch of other guys in, in certain roles. And so I think one way to kind of help the receivers not have too much on their plate is to do more 12 personnel, with Gray as a receiver. Um, the only thing that, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking more and more about it is 
they did keep four tight ends and you know bell isn't he's more of a blocking guy but he you know they they'll trust him to catch the ball and then obviously fortson is a receiver too so maybe it does get spread out more between the the backup tight ends and, and so maybe that's how he goes under but i am going to go over i just think we're going to see Noah Gray be more involved in the offense than we've seen a tight end two in a while. And, and I, I think he'll be more reliable than Demetrius. I drop Demetrius Harris, excuse me, drop Demetrius Harris or incomplete Trius Harris. That's actually Demetrius was the best. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I love that nickname for him. It's, it's rude, but, it, but it works. Uh, Noah Gray, I think is unique just because they're going to try to find ways to get him involved. I think Harris was a nice backup option for Mahomes, but I think they're going to be more purposeful about how they use Noah Gray this season than other tight ends in the past and the other tight ends on the roster right now. We'll see if we're proven correct or incorrect. But either way, again, there's a very low bar to clear. Speaking of low bars to clear, you've got (laughs) Demarcus Robinson. Uh, So how many times per game will Demarcus Robinson run backwards and and when he shouldn't, uh, you've got the over under at 0.5 times per game. So you're you're saying at least eight times next year we're gonna we're gonna be yelling at the screen for Demarcus Robinson running backwards. Uh, over under that that number. I'm go I'm hammering the over man. I, I, I <laughs> it it seems like every catch he makes he runs backwards at, at, to some extent. So yeah, I know I there's not much to say about this one. It's kind of a funny one, obviously. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm definitely going over here. I, I think we see D Rob do his usual antics. He has not improved at that at all. I'm going to go under just because I, I hope his utilization is less this season. And I go. think, I think a lot of the backwards running I remember from Robinson has been on punt and kick returns and they, they seem to have finally realized that he should not be returning any form of kick at any time. So if they take that away from him, then perhaps this number goes down a little bit. So I'll take the under here with some optimism that the targets will go elsewhere uh, on offense and on special teams. All right. So we'll go defensive side of the ball here with, with everyone's favorite cornerback, Legereus Sneed. I have him at over under three and a half interceptions this season. That number comes from the fact that in this Spagnuolo era, the last two seasons, the only or the highest number of interceptions a single player has had that's not named Tyron Matthew is three interceptions. So if you're saying over, you're saying that, uh, you know, he's going to have the most interceptions of a non-Tyron Matthew player in the Spagnolo era. Go ahead, Stags. Do you think he gets to four interceptions this season? Yeah, I'll give him four. Sneed is a ball hawk. It seems like he had one per game when healthy early last season. And he's really going to be involved on this defense. He's going to be the, the guy this year. I, I, I think over, we'll give him at least four interceptions. Uh, I'd argue he'll have at least that many sacks as well. Just game-changing plays from, from Snead. Yes. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the opposite side, though, here. I'm going to go under, even though, like you said, three interceptions last year. He did that in what, like eight or nine games? So he, he didn't – he played half the season. So that, that's pretty impressive. But I will say under just because I do think – opponents are going to are, are aware of him now they're going to know that he's probably our best cover corner there are other corners you can probably target a little more I, i'd say ward is someone that i think opposing offenses know to kind of target depending on who the receiver is and 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 what you mentioned with the sacks i do think in, in a lot of these passing downs uh you know like third downs i think Snead's going to be used as a blitzer a lot too so i think that takes away opportunities for him to get interceptions and so i'm going to go under here that's fair. They're, they're, when he's blitzing, they're going to be targeting uh, 56. And, uh, oh, God. <laughs> so they're going, to be, they're going to be targeting Neiman and Sorensen in those, in those sorts of plays. And, and yeah, so, so that, that's, that's a good call. Uh, let's do a couple more of these and we'll take a break. So how about Jody Fordson touchdowns? We got him at a half. So over under 0.5 touchdowns for Jody Fordson. Basically, is he going to score this year or not? Andy's getting him in the end zone. There's no doubt about it. There's there's definitely going to be a play. Maybe it's in a blowout or something early on. They get they target Fortson in the end zone just to get him that one touchdown. Such a good story. Everyone loves him. Yeah, I, I definitely think he scores this year. Yeah, I got him at one touchdown. Maybe they call it Hungry Giraffe or, or some other uh, some, some other <laughs> animal that they put in there. All right, how about Stags, 
if you called that, because that's actually a per, I, if you call that, I, I I don't know. I think that's a pretty good bet on that being the name of the play. <laughs> that'd be that'd be hilarious. All right, how about McCole Hardman over under seven hundred yards? His career high, as you've noted here, is five sixty. So seven hundred yards over and under McCole. I went over. Uh, I. I, I, I kind of hesitated. Maybe I, I think uh, that was kind of a low number. I probably could have went a little higher with it, but I, I, I do think even if he doesn't take a huge step as a wide receiver too, that's the seven hundred yards are going to come naturally as the second wide receiver in this offense. And, and I do think, you know, he's still going to get enough opportunities and, 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 you know, kind of designed up plays, big plays to make that number, you know, over 700. So I go over. Yeah. You said naturally, I would actually say uh, they're unnaturally, they're going to force feed McColl and they, they've been doing it all. They did it last year. They did the Super Bowl to, to their detriment. And uh, we saw it a little bit in the preseason as well. They're going to find ways to get McColl the ball. I'm going over 700. Uh, I'm thinking somewhere around 850 is the target. And, you know, again, with the extra games and with the lack of, of other competition around him, uh, I'm going to take that over pretty pretty easily. One more, and our guy Tommy Townsend, he of of the beautiful long locks and the golden leg and the short shorts and pre in, in training camp. Tommy Townsend first down conversions on fake punts. Does he get one this year or not? The over under is at a half. I'm going under. I, I think I think we saw it last year, and it proved that he could do it. So I do think it's in the tool bag for for his career. I think Tobe's going to note that. But they don't do a lot of fake punts, and I do think they'll you know they're not going to do the same kind of fake punt as they did last year. So if we see a fake punt, I think it'll be like a direct snap to somebody or or, or another way that they get the first down uh, without Tommy. Man, I'm hammering the over on this one. Townsend <laughs> showed off a golden arm to go with his golden leg. That was a beautiful <laughs> pass when he converted that first down. Uh, you're right. They don't fake it very much because they don't punt very much. And hopefully they're going to punt even less this season. But I think he gets at least one this year, maybe two in one form or another. <clears throat> well, with that, let's take a break. Let's hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll give our overall predictions for the team awards and the records. And we'll get to some more of your questions on the Out of Structure podcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thanks for staying with us on the Out of Structure Podcast, the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Sagner here with RKJ, he of Tyron Matthew, Twitter fame. We're going to now do our predictions for the season awards, the internal awards that the Chiefs give out to their players. What about the team MVP, the Derek Thomas Award? Uh, some past winners last year, it was Travis Kelsey coming off just a monumental season that he had last year. Uh, 2019 Tyron Matthews, 2018, the MVP season of the league for Patrick Mahomes won the team MVP as well. Who's going to win the team, the Derek Thomas team MVP award this year? So I do think, I, I think even if Patrick Mahomes has a big year and I do think he will, I think the team likes to give it to someone else if they have a big year, just because, Hey, it's, it's easy to give Mahomes the MVP award. And so as we were kind of predicting earlier, I think Chris Jones is going to have a huge year and I think that's going to get him this MVP. I think, I think they want to give it to him. They've given it to all their cornerstone players the last three years. You mentioned Kelsey, Matthew, Mahomes. I think Chris Jones is the next one. It's good logic. Hard to argue with you there. I do Mahomes, or Chris Jones obviously looks like he's just on a tear and this is going to be his season. It's, this has to be Chris Jones's best season of his career. There's no reason to, to believe otherwise. And if that's the case, I like your point about the cornerstones. If they're spreading it around and they're trying to make sure that that uh, you know they get all of those guys an award, I could see that. But I'm going with Mahomes this year. I think with a better offensive line and motivation coming off a Super Bowl loss, Mahomes keeps score. 
and he is going to be exacting his revenge on the league this season. I think Mahomes is due for just a monster season, a healthy season with a good pocket. We haven't seen anything like that in the past. Yep. That's a safe pick. That's a safe pick, Stags. But uh, I, I do think if no one else, if, if Chris Jones doesn't have a big year, I think they'll just, they'll have to give it to Mahomes, right? Um, but the next one, the other one they give out, the Mackley Hill Award for Rookie of the Year, the Team Rookie of the Year. Last year it was Clyde. Year before it was McCole Hardman that won, won it. And then actually in 18, it was Andrew Wiley, which kind of tells you how bad the 2018 draft class was. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go ahead and give mine. I, I am going to say it's Creed Humphrey this year. I think... We've seen him. I think he's been the best of the rookie starting linemen uh, so far in the preseason. I think, and I think center is the easiest position to to kind of play well at, uh, just because you're protected on both sides and and you're kind of always helping. You're never really just one on one with the guy most of the time. But I do think Creed Humphrey as kind of the leader of the line. You know, center is a leader position. I think they'll get recognize him as the rookie of the year this year. He's looked great. A lot of people have made the case already that he may be the Chiefs' best offensive lineman period at times this preseason which is a pretty bold statement when you have two all pros to the left of him but he's really exceeded expectations so far so I like the Creed Humphrey pick I'm gonna go with our guy Trey Smith again I've been sort of the guy pumping the brakes on on Trey Smith but his arrow is pointed straight up at this point he has really exceeded expectations from the mental side of the game from getting involved early and not letting go of that position. I think he's going to be the, the highlight reel guy, but also, you know, the, the tone setter for this offensive line that's going to be more physical this year, that's going to impose their will. And he's going to be the guy out there leading the charge and, and rallying everybody else to that style of play. So I think Trey Smith, uh, wins the rookie of the year this season, given two offensive linemen winning in the last four years. Yes. And I, and I, I, that's why I noted Wiley because I, I, I wanted people to know that it can be an offensive lineman. And, and I, you know, it, 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 and it actually probably a good chance it will be. So, uh, you know, just according to the draft pick. So I think Trey Smith's a good pick. And finally, let's get on the record. It's it's record prediction time. We gotta we gotta you know we gotta have it in in stone so uh, we can we can be we can see who's more accurate at the end of the year. Stags, I'll let you go first. What do you think the Chiefs' regular season record is this season? And and do you have uh, a game or or you know what games you they lose? What uh, opponents do you think they'll be? You know what? Actually, I prefer you go first, Ron. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I, I think they go fourteen and three. I think fourteen and three is the good number. I I'm going to have a little bit of a cop-out answer, although I'll give you the options, but I think their first loss of the season is going to be one of those October, November home games. You know, and when the schedule first came out, I said it was going to be Buffalo in week five at home. And, and I, I do see, you know, and I, I don't see them losing to Buffalo, you know, just in general, the matchup, I think they kind of own them, but you know, they play the Packers at home too. You know, the Cowboys, if they're healthy, are going to be a hard team to beat as well. So I, I do see them dropping one of the home game that maybe they shouldn't. I do think they'll lose that Thursday night game late in the season to the Chargers. I just think that's going to be, a, you know, they're all going to be tired and, and that's going to be kind of a, a bad game. And then I have them losing week 18 when they're resting starters. Well, that's why I wanted you to go first because, you know, I think it's logical to assume that the Chiefs are going to lose week 18 because they're going to be such a good team. They're going to be resting their starters and the backups are going to be playing the division rival who have nothing to play for at that point, pretty likely except for to be the spoiler, but I've got the chiefs backups winning in week 18 because this team is that much deeper than the rest of the division. And they're going to have something to prove just that a lot of those young guys are getting a chance to play that didn't get to play as much this during the season. So I'm going to put them at 15 and two with a win in week 18, but I'll take the losses uh, against the Titans and the Packers this season. I just think matchup-wise, the Titans have always been a tough play for this team, uh, and the, the Packers are one of the only teams on the schedule that have a quarterback that can even be mentioned in the same breath as Mahomes at this point. So, you know, we, if, you're, if they're going to lose, it might be to a team that can run the football or a team with a great quarterback that can go uh, head-to-head with them. 
Yeah, you're right about the Titans. It's kind of funny. I, I think it's Andy has like one of I think his worst opponent record is the Titans for whatever reason. Uh, I remember that being a thing when we lost in 2019 to them. So, yeah, you know, that stuff that's that stuff is true. That stuff happens. Well, let's get to your Twitter questions. Um, there's a, a handful of questions here about the season as a whole. So we just gave our predictions for the season for our late season award winners. Uh, but Cliff Cliff. Wopel at Iceburner999 on Twitter asked, who's going to have the most tackles and the most sacks on defense this season? We probably already foreshadowed this a little bit, but uh, uh, what do you think? Well, I, uh, I'm going to split it up. So sacks, Chris Jones, obviously. Tackles, though, I think that's a kind of a tough question. Um, but I'm going to go ahead, and, and this might be an unpopular pick, but I'm going to say Dirty Dan. And I don't actually – I probably should have looked before uh, who led the team in tackles last year. I bet it, it might have been Dirty Dan. But he's just on the field so much. He's a linebacker in the dime formation. You know, he kind of plays more in the box when, when, when they're in dime. And so, yeah, I think that's how he racks up the tackles. Uh, you know, I, I think it's Dirty Dan that leads the team in tackles. Whew, that might be a bad sign for the defense if, if your safety is leading the team in tackles. Yes, uh, that no, that's a rule of thumb. Just real, that is a rule of thumb in football. If your if your safety is your leading tackler, your defense isn't very good. If, if <laughs> but, it's a corner, you're, <laughs> you're in maybe more trouble. I don't know. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with also probably an unpopular pick because it's somebody the Chiefs fans have been trying to write off for years. But Anthony Hitchens is going to lead the team in tackles again. Uh, he's lighter. He's improved. He's still the three down linebacker until proven otherwise. Uh, so Anthony Hitchens is going to be a tackling machine this season uh, on for sacks. I'm going to go against the grain one more time. And uh, I'm going to say Frank Clark. So uh, Chris Jones, we already predicted is going to have a monster season. Uh, and, and so, yeah, maybe this is getting, getting a little bit ahead of myself here and saying that, that Frank Clark could actually be higher on on sacks than Chris Jones but I think Clark's going to have a good season when he gets back after it he's got a lot to prove uh he's going to be playing for his future here uh with the team so I'm contradicting myself as I go Jones is still going to have the most sacks but the second most sacks is going to be Frank Clark uh, and he's going to have double digits once again yeah, no, I, I'm glad we mentioned Frank Clark. I, I do, I'm kind of with you there. I do think Clark is going to have maybe – well, I, I would – if he recovers from his injury, his health, his hamstring injury that's been dealing with him in the preseason, I do think he'll have a, a good year. And and by the way, Sorensen did lead the team in tackles by 13 last season. Mm-hmm. Hitchens was in second. So we, we picked the top two from last year. Not a very uh, exciting pick from us. All right, so we're going to move on to the next question from Justin Galacki at Galaki on Twitter. I, I, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but you know. Who emerges as the most consistent wide receiver to and why? And the keyword there is consistent. Stags, who do you think emerges as the most consistent? All right. So again, I'm not numbering the wide receivers after Tyreek Hill. There's, there's a wide receiver one, and then there's everybody else. Uh, but the most consistent wide receiver after Tyreek Hill, I still believe in McColl. I think he's going to be given every opportunity to succeed, and he'll find a way to consistently produce every game. It may not be in conventional ways. It may not be in contested catches, or he's not going to be an X receiver no matter what you do. But I think he's going to be the second most productive wide receiver on a week-to-week basis, and and therefore we'll call him number two by the end of the season. Yep, I'm with you. I, and then the other part of this is, is we talk about how, you know, McColl may not be consistent, but look at the, look at the guy right behind him. Uh, Robinson is, is the least – is, is maybe even le- less consistent. Uh, you know, I, I, I know he, 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 he's consistent in the terms of he's always playing. He's never really hurt or anything, but, you know, and, and relying on him play to play, that's, that's a little up in the air. So, yeah. And, and Byron Pringle's production's never really been there in any sort of no. uh, consistent fashion. I mean, he, he's, he's a good player. I like him on the team. I, I'm glad he's on the roster. But, you know, counting on him to be a 500 or a 1,000-yard receiver is, is – you're dreaming. Uh, I mean, he, he's really that he's just not that guy so far in, in this, uh, in his NFL career. So I, I think it's pretty safe to say it's going to be McColl and then uh, everybody else will just be rotating. But speaking of rotating, Eddie at PyFan83 on Twitter says, Who's going to play more snaps at defensive end, specifically at defensive end? Is it going to be Chris Jones or Mike Dana? 
You know, this is an interesting question. At uh, first glance, I'm like, oh, Chris Jones, for sure. I mean, he's going to be starting out there. Uh, he's going to be there for most every early down, you'd think. But, you know, just thinking about it, you know, if Frank Clark misses any time or, uh, you know, just if if they do, you know, if they decide to, you know, that Dana is a pretty good player and they trust him on the outside more and, and move Jones back inside a little more than maybe we originally thought. I, I think it is more of a toss up uh, than than I thought at first, but I'll still say Chris Jones. He's he takes a lot of pride in playing DN, you can tell, and and so he's he's gonna be out there, uh, you know, a lot of the snaps this year. So if you look at the way the Chiefs have divided up their their snaps at defensive end in the past, the last year you had Tano at sixty six percent of the snaps, Frank Clark at seventy percent uh, at the defensive end positions, and then everybody else was a pretty smaller, uh, you know, quite a bit smaller in the rotation. So they they really do feature or they have in the past featured, you know, pretty consistently two starters and then the backups are in the 26 to 30% of the snaps range. Chris Jones overall played 64% of the snaps last year. If you take that number, you divide it between DT and DE this year and say that he's, he's going to be, let's say he plays 70% of the snaps and half of those are a defensive end and half are a defensive tackle. He's obviously going to be, He's going to look more like a part-time defensive end uh, and more like a backup, but so is Mike Dana. So, you know, this, as long as Frank Clark is healthy um, and Chris Jones is playing half of the snaps at defensive end, I think it's really a toss up. So I'm going to say Mike Dana um, by a small margin, let's just say something like 35% of snaps to to 30 or something uh, at defensive end. Yeah, and the other part of that too is, is Dana is that third defensive end, in my opinion. I think he solidified himself as as the next guy off the bench behind Clark and Jones. And also, he's really young, and Jones is kind of a veteran. You know, they might try to manage Jones' snaps a little bit, you know, a little bit this year, just to make sure he doesn't overwork himself and have him ready for the playoffs. Dana doesn't need to have any sort of load management. So yeah, I I, I see I could see Dana doing it for sure. So next question from our guy, Chief Smash Forever. He is always asking questions on Twitter, and he's got a good one for us. Hey, fellas. Hey, Chief Smash Forever. Uh, do we think McKinnon gets a lot of run right out of the gate as the third down back, or is he just special teams? I feel like he's flying under the radar, what he could also do for offense behind this brand-new improved line. When healthy, he's had a solid career, which that is true, Chief Smash Forever. Stags, what do you have on the, the possibility of Jarek McKinnon having a bigger role, a big role in this offense. I'm excited about McKinnon. I mean, I think he looks like a, a, a new man in a lot of ways. He's playing hard. He's, he's quick to hit, hit the hole. He's playing special teams. He's doing everything that you could ask of a second running back. And you start to look at the way the chiefs have broken down the running back production in previous years. So I looked at uh, uh, Clyde had 800 rushing yards, 300 receiving yards last year and five total touchdowns. After Clyde, the next leading rusher in 2020 was Patrick Mahomes at 308 yards rushing, two touchdowns. And then Le'Veon Bell had 254 yards rushing. Uh, Daryl Williams, 169 yards rushing. So the production really fell off after Clyde. And with Daryl still here, Bell gone, and the improved um, you know, production or the, the improved offensive line, we could see more like a like the best version uh, of Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon's best season was in 2017 when he had uh, 400 and, 420, uh, 421 r- rushing yards. And so this is a guy who has had pretty good production in the past. You're right, 421 yards is a pretty solid number two running back season. That's pretty similar to Damian Williams in 2019 who had just under 500. So – I could see uh, I could see McKinnon getting back to that form in that he had in 2017, and and really being that second guy for this offense and having something like you know 350 to 500 yards uh, uh, rushing something like that maybe even more. What do you think? Yeah, once upon a time, Jarek McKinnon got paid. He got paid by the 49ers after a pretty solid career as a Minnesota Viking. And there's a reason he got paid. He was a dynamic running back, a guy that the Vikings trusted as a playmaker, both on the ground and in the receiving game. And so, yeah, I do think McKinnon will will have a a big role. And 
the thing, you know, he, I think he's a veteran enough to where he can be a, a pass protector. So I do think they can, they can get him as a third down back, maybe not the third down back. I don't think he, you know, completely just takes that role right away, but I do think he'll be trusted in the situation and they'll have a, a nice, healthy uh, rotation between him and Daryl uh, behind Clyde when Clyde does need a break. So yeah, I, I, I don't know what, the, I don't know the number to put on it, but uh, according to the question, yeah, I, I do think McKinnon will, is not just a special teams player. I do think he's going to contribute to the offense in a good way. Yeah, and, and I apologize. I misspoke on McKinnon's 2017. I'm underselling him a little bit. He had 420 receiving yards that year. He had 570 rushing yards, so almost 1,000 uh, total or over 1,000 total yards. So there's a player that has been very, very productive in the past. Um, so I don't think he'll get 1,000 total yards probably with this offense. But, but yeah, I, I could really see him being in that four to 500 yards uh, rushing uh, with a, a substantial amount of receiving yards because he is a little bit more of a home run hitter too. So he's a guy that if you get, get him the ball and he gets an opening, he might break one, uh, maybe even more so than Clyde. Uh, as we talked about, that's not necessarily Clyde's style. So he'll, he'll get some opportunities there. The team loves Daryl. They do rely on him. And he seems to be the closer a lot of times when they're trying to close out a game. Um, but I think there's an opening not only for Le'Veon Bell's production from the, from last year, Damian Williams type production from from 2019. Uh, there's a lot that's on the table for McKinnon. Yeah, and speaking of the running backs, uh, we'll get to Jay's question. Jay at Maverick 90909. What can we realistically keyword there realistically expect from Clyde's stat line this season? Stags, I think you kind of you kind of put that together and and did some research to get some numbers. Where did you come out on that? So Clyde had exactly a thousand total yards last season, uh, which was a great rookie year, especially if you look at the fact that he only played 13 games. So if you extrapolate that out to a 17 game season, assume that he's healthy for most of that. Maybe he plays 16 games and, and sits the last week, um, or maybe he misses a little bit of time. Let's say he gets somewhere around 250 carries and he's still at his average, uh, just over four yards a carry. And maybe that gets a little better with the offensive line. I, I think something like 1,150 rushing yards, 600 receiving yards, uh, so 1,750 grand total for Clyde this year is what we should expect. But I don't think 2,000 total yards is off the table for him. No, it shouldn't be, especially because he, he should have a, a, a big bigger role in the receiving game this year than he had last year. That was part of the reason why the uh, we were able to justify them taking him in the first round was that he was a, a really good receiving back in college. So, yeah, but uh, like we mentioned with McKinnon, you know, they're, they're, he will kind of maybe take some of those screen passes maybe or, or design running back passes. But next question from our guy, Jacob Milham. He's always asking uh, questions on Twitter. Shout out, Jacob. He asked, and I like this question, and it's a thinker, which practice squad player, and we've seen the Chiefs not officially announce their 16-man practice squad, but we pretty much know who's on it. Which practice squad player will see the most game day action this season? Uh, I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and say that I think one the the most obvious candidate to me is defensive end Damone Harris. He's a he's a veteran. He's been around this team. He was actually a, a key a key rotational piece in the Super Bowl run in 2019. He actually played you know a you know respectable uh, snaps at edge uh, for the Chiefs in in 2019. So I think they trust him, and I think that might be a reason why they were able to go five defensive ends because they knew they could get him on the practice squad and bring him up when needed. Yeah, they're definitely light at that position. You could see him getting that game day call up as soon as this weekend. I mean, this is definitely a player that they trust. And with the practice squad rules carrying over from last year, you can have two players come up on game day and go right back to the practice squad without any kind of waivers or anything like that. So you could see him being that game day elevation right now while they're short and while you know, there's there's guys like Okafor who have been banged up and and maybe Kendo. I'm not sure if he's ready or not. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really safe bet. Uh, let's also go with Devin Key, who's a player who looked like he was a shoe in for the roster early on in training camp and then trailed off towards the end, got exposed a little bit. But the Chiefs are also a little bit thin at safety and they're carrying at least one player that's special teams only in um, Armani Watts. And then another special teams only player in Chris Lammons at cornerback, uh, the defensive back room might need some help at some point. Key could be working on on whatever it is that uh, 
that he's, he needs to work on to, to be ready for that 53-man roster, and he could get the call up at some point in time. Well, unfortunately, he could get the call up as soon as week one. We hope not, but we, we know Tyron Matthew has tested positive for COVID and, and is still not returned yet. So if, if Tyron does not return uh, by this week of practice, I definitely could see them going with, with Key bringing back up. I, I think that makes sense. It's just a kind of a one, one-on-one thing. So, so we're going to get – we're going to finish off the podcast. You know, there's a week one game here, and we're talking about just <laughs> season preview stuff, but there is, there is a week one – matchup that we need to preview a little bit and it's against a pretty formidable opponent and 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 the first question here is going to highlight that so from the bruce at bruce in the fort on twitter our offensive line versus cleveland's defensive line cleveland defensive line looks pretty damn good that no question there it's just a statement but also santi gonzalez at saintly santi hope i'm not mispronouncing that he also asked can the chief's new o-line get a shutout against the browns no sacks allowed Stags, I'll, I'll let you start on that. Uh, what do you think? How do you think the Chiefs O-line, or how confident are you that they can perform well against a, a pretty good Cleveland defensive line? They do have a good defensive line, and I think that a shutout is a pretty lofty goal. I'm not sure that they'll get that done uh, against, uh, you know, Clowney and Garrett and company. I, I really think Miles Garrett's going to give this team fits. I, I think they'll probably give up a couple of sacks, but it'll be a great early test. And I think they can impose their will a little bit, maybe from a run uh, run game standpoint. So I, I'd love to see the new offensive line come out and assert themselves and really keep this offense moving. I think, you know, again, it's a lot to ask to say that they won't give up any sacks in their, in their, in their debut performance here. Um, so I'll go with one or two sacks allowed, uh, but a pretty successful day overall as this line continues to gel. Yeah, I do think Andy's going to protect him a lot. I don't think he's going to, you know, leave his rookie lineman out to dry too much. He's going to, you know, play call to protect them. And but that said, I yeah, I you can't expect a shutout. I'd actually say, you know, there might be, you know, multiple sacks, you know, two, three, four sacks maybe. Because Miles Garrett is, as much as we talk about Chris Jones, Miles Garrett is is probably the favorite for def- defensive player of the year besides Aaron Donald. He is a monster. And last year before he got COVID. He was one of the. He was on pace to maybe be defensive player of the year, but he just did not come back right after the COVID, uh, the COVID uh, when he got COVID. So yeah, I I think Miles Garrett gets Lucas Niang or Brown uh, at least once, and 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 if not, maybe even a couple times. Unfortunately. All right. Well, the, the last question um, is related to another monster on the defensive line, but but the aforementioned Chris Jones. How will Chris Jones handle? the defense at defensive end, that boot waggle play that the Browns like to run. This is a question from Phil at hamster one on Twitter. Yeah. And I, I like this question. I, the Browns are, are one of those teams that run a lot of stretch zone, a lot of bootleg off of that. We kind of see, you know, it's a Shanahan kind of offense, although this isn't uh, directly a Shanahan offense, but, but that's the kind of offense they run under Kevin Stefanski and Chris Jones is going to get his first true test uh, as a defensive end. You know, it, it is going to be his first game as a, as a full-time defensive end. And that's the kind of stuff that, we're, that you're really going to have to see uh, Chris Jones excel at to, to kind of, you know, be confident moving forward. And, and that's the thing. It's all about discipline. And, and Jones is a, an aggressive player. And, and so when they do do those, those fake handoffs, he can't, he can't run down the running back from the back. He has to stay disciplined, make sure that boot doesn't happen, and then chase him down. You're not going to get that play most of the time anyway, chasing after the running back from behind. So you have to stay disciplined, stay kind of on that edge, make sure the quarterback doesn't keep it. Because if you do chase that running back and you allow the quarterback to get outside the pocket and, and have time out there to, to find his receivers, because when you know that play action is, is very effective and it's going to bring up the linebackers, it's going to bring up the safeties, and that's going to leave sec- holes open in the secondary. So if there's no pressure on Baker Mayfield uh, on those boot, boot plays, it's going to be, it's going to be big old play. It's going to be really big plays for the Browns offense. If he does have time back there out of the play action. So Chris Jones got to stay home and play that bootleg pretty good. Yeah, it is a good first test for him at defensive end to really see um, how well he's got the mental aspects, the, the assignment sound portion of the game down there. He's certainly going to be enjoying getting after the quarterback from the outside. Uh, We'll see how he does uh, with the rest of it. And you're right can you resist the temptation to chase Baker Mayfield and, and stay where you're supposed to be and, and contain and hold that edge. So uh, that's a, uh, uh, that's going to be a good test for him. I don't know how he's going to do against it, but all that's certainly something I'll be watching. 
Ron, tell you what, let's do one bonus over under question as we wrap this thing up. Uh, SoCal eleven eighty six over under fourteen personnel sightings in week one. He sets it at one and a half. What do you think? You know, I'm actually going to go over. I think they showed that in week three, their their dress rehearsal for a reason. I think they want to do that, and I do think that is one way they can help the offensive line, this rookie offensive line, is to have a lot of tight ends in there uh, and, you know, have Blake Bell help Chip and, and Jody Fortson and, and Travis Kelsey and Noah Gray, you know, all in personnel mismatches where the defense might, you know, be in a personnel that that suggests a run a run play. But Kelsey, Gray, and Fortson can all split out wide and be receivers too. And so I think that is one way to help the offensive line, both in the run game and pass protection, is to have uh, those 14 personnel. And, yeah, I, th- I think we'll see it a couple times. You mentioned that they're going to want to try to help out against um, Garrett quite a bit. And the guy to do that typically is Blake Bell, who is known as being a good pass-blocking tight end. Uh, so he'll definitely be on the field a fair amount this this first game. We'll see what they do with the other two. They were pretty cagey about that 14 personnel, and they really gave the impression this is something they're going to trot out uh, when they want to trot it out this season. I don't know if it's going to be a big deal in week one unless they really need it, uh, but we'll see it sooner or later. But with that, let's go ahead and wrap up for this week. Um, tell you what, before we get out of here, Ron, real quick, final predictions for the Browns-Chiefs game in the, in the opener, uh, final score and, and winner. Hey, I am subject to change this by our Friday article of all of our official predictions. So no one hold me accountable. But uh, no, I, I think the Chiefs pull us out. There's, I just don't see a way they lose an arrowhead game one. First game with the crowd back. I think Chiefs are going to be pumped up. I think it's going to be a good game for sure. I don't think it's going to be an easy game a, at all. And I, and I do think it actually might be a little bit of a high scoring game. I think, I think the, uh, the Browns offense is, is, is going to put up some points a little bit on this defense. But I have, I'll, I'll go Chiefs winning, let's say, 31-27. Yeah, I got 35-24 right in the same uh, realm. I think it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, the Chiefs should be up by a couple of scores, even if they, they let them make it look a little closer at the end. Uh, this is going to be a fun week. I'm really excited to be back in the regular season. Excited to share that time with you all. Thank you for being with us today on the Out of Structure podcast. Definitely rate and review wherever you do that. Listen to the rest of the Arrowhead Pride podcast network because there's some great content coming out all week and every week i appreciate you thanks ron have a good week and uh let's go chiefs go chiefs